0: What is up everyone and welcome into the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com and my co-host who will be joining us shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, Managing Editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. In episode 30 we have a ton of stuff to get to including a bunch of questions from you guys. In our shop talk section we're going to talk about drum shoes. Do shoes make a difference when you're playing the drum set? Our featured artist this time is Mr. Joe Saylor. In our gear review section Mike will be checking out a Bucks County Drum Company kit and as always we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. It is episode thirty-nine. We are discussing the April issue of Modern Drummer. Mr. Dawson, how are you doing, buddy? Did
1: you say thirty-nine?
0: <laughs>
1: Shut <laughs> up, dude!
0: Do you know what I have on my screen right now? I have episode twenty-nine rundown that you corrected me and told me it was thirty-nine. Thirty, Jesus! Thirty. Please. It's episode thirty. <laughs> uh, I don't even. <laughs> starting off great. Happy Friday. Oh my goodness, yes. Uh, We apologize if you are getting this podcast on Saturday and you're used to getting it on Friday. That is 100% my fault. Someday we'll explain why, but that is not going to be today. Today (laughs) we're going to jump right into things. So this week you went and did like some kind of sound teaching thing?
1: Yeah, I did. Uh, A good friend of mine runs the recording program down at Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore. Okay. He's, a, he's a great keyboard player and we've done a lot of gigs together and he – once a month he brings in like a different instrumentalist to, to do like a two-hour master session question and answer with, uh, with the grad students and undergraduate students who are in the recording program. So it's, so it's not, not a room full of drummers? No. I think there may have been one drummer in the group. Um, okay. There are other – I think they all have to have an instrument when they go into that program but they can actually major in recording arts. Got it. Uh, it's a great program. I was I was blown away by I mean, they having a Neve console like the one that Dave Grohl bought from Sound City and put in his house. I mean, it's wow. amazing. the 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 live room is about the size of most of the million dollar studios in New York City.
0: Now, do they use it only for teaching, or do they also do sessions there for bands that want to record? They do both. I think. I think
1: you have to be a student to use it, but the so students, it's not an open studio to the public. I don't think you can rent rent time. Okay, but the students bring in their own bands for sure. Got it. Not necessarily ensembles, but they they record everything from orchestras to string quartets and solo piano and rock and jazz. I mean, it is a, a shockingly awesome program. That I mean, they had state of the art gear and. Their mic locker was just, like, opening up a Guitar Center catalog. And, like, really? what do you need? Although they didn't have the one mic that I suggested, the bass drum mic, the Shure Beta 91A, the little – Yeah, the, the triangle thing. mic. Yeah, yeah, which for me is, like, a, I have to have that microphone. Yeah, yeah.
0: Especially if you have, like, a AKG D112
1: just doing all the low-end thump for yeah. you. then you need something for the click and the attack. Yeah, so they, that was one kid asked me, like, what would be your – you know, the one piece of gear you'd have to have? And that was my – my choice and it was funny because
0: <laughs> the only thing they don't the have the
1: thing they didn't have but the director but it's in the budget yeah he was like well we're getting one and uh, you're not the first person that said that so we're definitely getting one oh that's cool yeah Very so, cool. so basically they bring in it's not about recording so i wasn't there to talk about because i would feel really stupid going in with my home studio knowledge and trying to <laughs> school these kids who are getting master's degrees in recording sure it, it was more about uh just Most of these people don't understand a drum set, really. They don't know the history. They don't know how it really works. Tuning, muffling, like the difference between muffling to get rid of overtones versus muffling to change the timbre. Um, Symbol selection, how heavy cymbals can destroy a recording. Uh, What do you do when a drummer plays with with too much cymbal? Like what can you say to them? What can you suggest
0: to them? Yeah, I mean, drummer lingo is so important, too, for a producer because... If you can't communicate with them, then it can be really hard when, when you're saying, hey, I just – I mean, the worst thing that you, know, you and I have both dealt with is when a producer doesn't know how to properly articulate time even. And they say, hey, yeah. I need you to play more behind the beat. And the drummer thinks they need to play two BPM slower than the click. And it's yeah, like, that's a tough one. Okay, now we have a problem of communication. And then tone is the exact same thing. I'm sure you and I have both been in this situation where the only direction we get from the sound guy or the producer is, can you do something with that floor tom?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like what <laughs> okay that's weird not about that before, Tom.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I can definitely do something that so that's awesome. So you gave them some advice on that. And then were you did so was there a drum set there for you to
1: perform demos on? Yeah, they had um everything he bought was was really well chosen. They have a Yamaha Maple Custom absolute kit with two bass drums. They have a twenty two and a twenty and they have ten, nice. twelve, fourteen toms and they only have two snare drums, but they they chose really well. They have a five and a half by fourteen Maple Absolute and they have a six and a half by fourteen Ludwig uh Black Beauty super sensitive. Nice. So he was he's, when he called me about the gig, it's like, this is what we got, and they got a bunch of Zildjian K symbols, like regular K series symbols. He's like, This is what we got. I don't know if it's really enough. I'm like, dude, you've got all you need. Like dude, Yeah, you got more than enough. Like you kinda chose perfect everything. I don't I mean, good job. It's a good thing you run this program. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so basically I, I went in and, and he wanted me to talk a little about the history of the drum set because that's, that's a story that not many people have heard about how it went from post-Civil War uh, you know, parade bands that went indoors and, and having fewer members because people were going back to the farms or working in the factories. So one drummer had to cover the parts of several that were in the parade band. So someone just decided to hit the bass drum and the snare drum at the same time and that became the first setup, the first drum set. So I went back and did all that and talked about how Gene Krupa was really the first person to codify the drum set as we know it now with Tom Toms, snare drum, bass drum, and a Ride and hi-hat. Like, because of his popularity with Benny Goodman, he was going on the road and all these kids were getting inspired to play drums. And they were going to the music store and just demanding the drum set and there was no such thing. So wow. it was really him going to Slingerland and saying, build me drum kits so these kids can buy them when I play all these shows. And that's what became the Radio King, the Slingeland Radio King. Really? Yeah, so that really – yeah, the modern drum set you can trace straight back to Gene Krupa. Now, I think we should – I think that should be one
0: of our uh, main topics some days is really kind of letting you riff on the history of the drum set because there's so much of it, too, that – I mean, a lot of us, including myself, the history starts when it started for us. You know, So when we think vintage, we're thinking like the 70s, you know? And so – So, yeah, it would be a fascinating story for all of our students. I mean, I think also, too, if any of you guys are really interested in that and really want a detailed history of it, definitely check out Daniel Glass's DVD. I mean, he went down the rabbit hole. Yeah, and Uh, I
1: actually used his poster as the handout for the course. Cause, oh, he, perfect. Cause he basically summarizes his DVD in like a two page poster with photos and captions. Nice. So yeah, guys check out uh Daniel glasses. I think it's called the century project. Is that right? Yeah. And there was another one, it was like a two parter. One was about the history of, the, of drumming and one was about the history of the drum set itself. Like more about yeah. the gear.
0: Yeah. So definitely check that out. Cause it's, it, I mean that guy, I love when I'm learning something from somebody that just really cares, you know, um, whether it's, Ken Burns doing a documentary on something, you know it's like something that he actually really cares about and he goes deep. And Daniel blast did a fantastic job on that. And that was, as far as I remember, that was the first time that, uh, that, was it the Drum Channel that did that? The Drum Channel put that on, I think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, but I, for some reason, I'm trying to think. I think it was like that and then, uh, do, you, uh, do you know Yael, the female drummer? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think both of them kind of were just, kind of had little bit of free reign of the drum channel studios as they were getting up and running and it was like okay well these are gonna be our kind of launch products so um, really cool stuff though i spent some time with daniel glass at a camp in canada and he just couldn't have been a nicer human being so
1: yeah he's into the history for sure cool man well and did it seem like the students got a lot out of your time there they did i mean ed was was good about kind of asking me questions to prod it along but I had a basic plan I mean, we were talking about the history then what are the sh- different shell types how does that affect the sound and when would you po- choose maple over birch over mahogany um, and then I just went through each piece of the kit and basically explained what it should sound like and how to quickly tune it and muffle it and troubleshoot it so I one of their tom-toms actually had a dent in the head so I was able to not even realize it discovered as we were detuning the drum it wouldn't go low enough without sounding flappy Right, so it was right, right away, like, oh, there's a trouble. there's a problem here, and I just found that there's a dent in the head, so that was that was good for them to see, like gotta have good, clean heads on your studio kit, or it's never gonna sound good, yeah, absolutely, yeah, so it was I, good, I would good love response. It'd be great to have like a you know a, a motion
0: graphic artist do kind of like a a video on what happens to sound waves when they hit a dent in that membrane that's vibrating up and down. That would be and interesting. show how they kind of spiral out of control to create those weird overtones and that flappiness where we can't get a pure tone. There, it'd be great to have somebody. <laughs> I would love if a. Graphic designer that does motion graphics was married to a physicist, <laughs> and then they could call me right now. And it's like, let's make something educational for people for drums. Uh, well, <laughs> I have to apologize to you and to all of the Mike's students because I sent you a picture of a snare drum that Gretch had just sent me, and I told you you needed to go get a copper snare drum.
1: Yeah, you rubbed it in my face because I didn't have one.
0: That's right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you don't need to get a copper snare drum. So, uh, you need to get a bronze snare drum. Uh-huh. <laughs> I got my medals wrong, so I went to Nam uh, this last year, Winter Nam. I go to the Gretsch booth, and they've got a, a new. They've got three new kind of metal snares for the USA Custom line. So these are high quality snare drums. They've got a bronze, a copper, and a brass. And really, if you go from copper to bronze to brass, you're almost going from like reddish pink all the way up to that gold brass color. So copper, it looks like a shiny penny. And then you go to bronze, and it's it's still, because bronze is made out of, I mean, what bronze is, is a combination of copper and tin. That it still has some pink in it. And then when you get up to brass, it's very gold looking. Well, when this drum showed up, I, when I was at NAM, I played them and I didn't I didn't enjoy the copper at all. As soon as I hit the brass, I was like, that is an amazing sounding snare drum. And then I hit the, I'm sorry, the bronze. And then when I went up to the brass, it was like, okay, that sounds like brass. But yeah. the bronze really caught my ear. Well, then Gretsch called me and said, hey, we, we remember you loved that bronze snare drum uh, at Nam, We're going to send it to you. And I said, oh, that's so cool. Thank you so much. It shows up and it's super pink in my lighting. So I just <laughs> thought they sent me the copper. But I hit it, and I was like, this is so great. It sounds fantastic. Like So I told you, you should get a copper snare drum. Um, I sent you a picture of it. I played it for two days in a row on the online live lessons. So there's thousands of students that are like, oh, I should get a copper snare drum. Mike (laughs) won't shut up about it. And so then I got on the phone with Mike Nealand over at Gretsch, and I said, dude, I know I asked for the bronze, and you still sent the copper, but I love it. And he's like, I didn't send you the copper. And I'm like, no, you did. It's right here. And he's like, I promise you, the copper is sitting on my desk right now. Oh, man. He's like, I don't know what kind of funky lighting you got, but go take that drum out in the sun. I sent you the bronze. <laughs> so, sure enough, I have a 14 by 5 Gretsch bronze snare drum that sounds dope. Please don't go. I mean, you can buy a copper snare drum, there's nothing wrong with it, <laughs> but it's definitely not the one that I was bragging about. So, for all the MikeSlessons.com students, luckily, this snare drum hasn't gone on sale yet. It's not part of their catalog, it's coming in the next couple of weeks.
1: So, yeah, I got to tell you, I did. I mean, I I do a lot of shopping on Reverb.com. Okay, And they have an awesome feature where if you see something that you like, you can just hit the watch button. So it basically just puts it in your shopping cart, but you don't actually buy it. So it it saves me the impulse buy. And I will tell you, I went on the Reverb and I searched copper snare drums (laughs) (laughs) and I added about three or four to my watch list. (laughs) Oh,
0: I feel terrible. (laughs) Uh, Such an idiot. Ah, I, I feel it's so funny because I pulled it away from the kit to take like an Instagram picture of it. And it was like, I don't know if you've seen the one I put online, but it's well, you saw it, you commented on it. Yeah, of course. It's totally like brass colored, <laughs> it's not even kind of pink. So I think what was happening, it was just reflecting off of my kit and it was bringing in a lot of pinks and oranges somehow. Ah, uh, is copper so pink? Copper is, yeah, I mean, think about a penny. Is that pink? You know, it's, yeah, if you had a shiny penny, it'd be kind of like brown salmon. All right. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> it's brownish, but no, I mean, uh, I'll send you a picture of their, their copper snare drum. Just go on Gretsch.com and All right all, which, right. all right. All right. Either way, I'm an idiot. Like, let's just leave it at that. So <laughs> I apologize to my students. I apologize to you for adding things to your watch list. And now we can move on with I our lives. I might just lives. go ahead and, and
1: get one just to, just to say <laughs> I got it. Just
0: to be like, oh, by the way, my, my <laughs> copper snare drum is killing. <laughs> I can tell you this, though. It makes so much sense, uh, you know. You and I have talked about it in the past, but Paiste put out a full. Um, they put out a, a snare back in the day, made out of two thousand two bronze, yep. uh, and it's just a very musical metal. So it makes sense to make drums out of it. And when I put up that picture that I put up, I actually got some private messages from people telling me, "Hey, I didn't want to advertise my snare on your page, but I have a you know whatever brand." Uh, bronze snare drum, and it's my favorite snare drum. So yeah. I was like, wow,
1: this is really cool. Yeah, the Ludwig so- hammered bronze superphonic is really popular with session guys, and I'm, I'm I'm pretty sure the what we call the the bell brass, like the Tama bell brass, is actually okay. bronze. Really, I'm not sure why they call it brass. I guess maybe bell brass technically is made of bronze. I don't know, but I'm pretty okay. sure that that snare drum, like the Nirvana Nevermind sound, is a bronze, yeah. a thick thick wow. bronze. Going to be much sure. different than yours, but.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, but I and um yeah with the die cast hoops, I mean it's a it, even though it's fourteen by five, it's a heavy drum, so I, I'm I definitely want to now dig into the specs. Maybe we can review it next week, but I want to dig into the specs and find out how thick that that shell is. Um, and then I talked to Mike Neal and to Gretsch too about, hey, do I have any flexibility here? Like I'm kinda falling in love with this material, but I like fourteen by five and a halves, and I would love to try it with the three oh two Brooklyn hoops. And I wish it wasn't so shiny. And he was like, dude, you tell me what you want and we'll try to make it happen. And I, you know, one thing that never occurred to me on really shiny metal snare drums is to look at the material on the inside and just see, oh, this is what it's like when it's not polished. Um, and I, yeah. as soon as I looked on the inside of the bronze, I was like, oh, that would actually be a fantastic finish on the outside and it would save them a step of polishing it. Um,
1: yeah.
0: My, it, it's not that I don't like shiny snare drums, they just pick up fingerprints so fast. Yeah. And so I just, you know, it's just a little too pretty for me. But, but, anyways, I love it, and we'll definitely review it coming up. So, now that we've, I've admitted my faults, <laughs> or at least one of my many, let's get into some listener
1: questions. Cool. Sure yeah, we have a few. We've got a few. So, yeah, keep them coming in. You can email us at mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. dot com. We really appreciate it. There was a bunch that came in, so we're just going to get through a few of them today and try to catch up on some of the more extensive ones later. But the first one is. Um, Let's see, where does the question start? Um, His question is about resonant heads on the snare drum. There's a lot of info on batter heads, but not so much on the resonant heads. So what can we say about resonant heads? And who's this from? This is coming from Harold Augusto.
0: Harold Augusto. Uh, Well, I think one thing is, you know, when you are talking about a snare drum bottom head, it's really hard to call it a resonant head, even though that's technically what it is, because most of the time the snares are... S- slammed up against it so it doesn't really resonate the way that we would consider a normal resonant head. They do make different types of of heads. So, you know, if you're a Remo guy, they they make the diplomat um and then you were telling me Mike that they make a ton of bottom heads, not yeah. just a little bit thinner, but they have thinner,
1: thicker, yeah, they do. textures. Diplomat is the really really thin, ambassador is kind of what everyone uses. They do have an emperor that's a single ply, it's not a two ply, it's just thicker. And they, I think they have a Renaissance version of all those, which it has more of a calfskin texture and look. And I'm pretty sure they have like a new one. It's like a Black black Max or something. Okay. Um, it's like super thick and, and dark sounding. So in my experience, the thinner the bottom
0: head on my snare and the thinner the rezzo head, the the more sensitive the snare is becoming and it's getting a little more thin and papery um, and snappier. And then <clears throat> there's like this kind of middle ground which is the single-ply Rezo head that, you know, Remo would call that That um, their ambassador snare side. Aquarian calls it their single-ply uh, single snare side. So in that – or I'm sorry, they call it their Aquarian classic clear snare side. Right. So that's kind of like the middle ground where I still get the beef out of the drum, but I still get a, a lot of sensitivity.
1: Do you use anything other than a normal snare head on the bottom? I use whatever comes with the drum, and then I right. keep it on there until – until the drums stop sounding good. So if, if someone sends it to me with a super thin, uh, whatever the Evans, I think they'd have like 300 and 500 or 200. If it comes with the super thin one, and I don't, even, I don't even notice it unless the drum just doesn't sound good to me. And then I'll usually look at the batter head first and the wires, and then lastly, I'll look at the bottom head. So I have some drums. I have a Ludwig Acrylate from 1979, I think, and it still has the original rocker snare side head on it. I'm just not going to change it. I have a swing one from the 50s that I mean that, that head is like cloudy and it looks like it's going to just blow apart. But my theory Until is... Until it does. Yeah, if, if the drum sounds good, don't question it and don't change things just to make it look new and shiny. And mm-hmm. I also have a theory that the snare wires get formed to that bottom head that it can only happen over time. So you have to give it time to kind of form to that bottom head so it's not rattling too much. And it just it kind of settles in. So if you change it too often, you're going to always miss that that sweet spot where it's you're getting a lot of response, but it's not just buzzing. You don't have to over-tighten the wires to minimize the buzz. Right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that's that also brings up another point that at
0: some point we should, in our shop talk section, get into snare wires right. and do some experiments. I would love to do that. But yeah, so I would say as far as bottom heads i'm with mike i mean i don't obsess over it at all the only time i really kind of get into the bottom snare head is when i just can't get my snare to sound right then eventually i turn it over and look like what's going on i would say this though for you guys out there i'm always kind of telling you on this podcast like hey you're not going to really hurt your drums by you know tuning them and trying things out and you really won't but the bottom snare head is probably the only thing that, if you just keep tightening it, that mylar is so thin it will keep stretching and stretching it, and you'll it'll go too far. The the hoop will just keep going down the side of the shell. So you know that's the only one I would be somewhat careful with. But at the same time, you'd be shocked
1: at how tight you can get that head, and it still won't damage the head. Yeah, um, in general, I tune it pretty high. Like a yeah, me too. I mean, it almost always ends up being right around the note G, which is right below A four forty. So it's pretty high. It sounds like a timbali. There's very little tone. I was just going to
0: gonna say, yeah,
1: I call that the timbali tone. Yeah, yeah. and it just <laughs> it just nice. works. And the drum kind of actually comes to life, It gives a you know a, a surprisingly a fuller sound with a tighter snare side head. Yeah, the only guy that I know yeah. that can well, actually there's two guys that I've seen that kind of can make the loose snare side head work. And Sean Pelton, his snare drum sound is actually a lot of it is his a lower snare side head. Okay. And back when Vinny was playing that brass piccolo, when he was playing the white Yamaha kit, yeah, yeah, like on the uh, the the Buddy Rich memorial, his bottom head is really moving a lot. So my, I'm pretty sure that he kept this, the bottom side head really loose on that drum, which kept it from sounding like a piccolo. It sounds like a nice full snare drum sound. Yeah, absolutely. But in general, I mean, you don't want to you don't want to be cranking it down every day. But up Keep around a four forty seems to be like a sweet spot. I like G, but some people like a and you just put your stick underneath the snares with the snares off to to tune it yeah and i I, i'm talking about the uh the frequency of the the lug pitch not the not the center of the head not the fundamental yeah so tapping near the muting the batter head tapping near the edge and getting that kind of like a 440 just like just listen to timbales and make your bottom head sound like that
0: (laughs) there you go boom
1: (laughs) done so yeah tune to tito puente very nice Yeah, exactly. all right next question all right, this is one that I didn't ask you ahead of time, So, and I don't actually have any any concrete answers. So, oh, boy, flying um, off the cuff. Yeah. So his question is, do we know of any metronome that exists where you can create rhythms within each bar? So, for example, can you have it play basically 1-and, 2-and, 3-e-and-a, e 4-e-and-a over and over again? And he would prefer sure. to have a voice counter. So my first thought is you can... I think in any modern metronome, like the uh, the Boss uh, Doctor Beats and the Korg Beat Lab, I think it's called, you can program a chain of of uh, sequences. So you can have it switch between Program One and Program Two. Yep. So within whatever features mm-hmm. it allows you to do, you could have Program One just be your eighth notes and Program Two be your sixteenth notes. And, and would you put it in one four then, or one or two, or however many beats you want it to, yeah. to change? Sure. That should work. Um, uh, we are kind of shifting away from the hard hardware metronome so when, once you get into applications and garageband I mean you could program an entire you know through composed never repeating pattern in garageband and use that as your metronome if you wanted right. to or you could have it you could yeah. program dropouts so you could have it do a metronome for three bars and then a blank for a bar so I know hardware is great because you can take it and carry it around and and, and you don't have to worry about having a, a Electronic device like an iPhone or an iPad or a computer, but I would suggest going the computerized route and look at some apps. Look at GarageBand and yeah. then just program in your own sequences. That you can do so much more. You can you can work on so many different things that way.
0: I agree. Yeah, and I would I would say uh, not to be self promoting because it is free, but check out the GrooveScribe because then you just do it. You could make it as crazy as you want, um, and you just hit the plus button, and that'll give you another measure and another measure and another measure, and you can do it. I mean, that's really almost like Fruity Loops, really, but we also have one of our snare... or I'm sorry, one of our ride cymbal tones or cymbal tones is a cowbell, so you could just make your own things. And then in there, we also have all of the offbeat click settings, so you could make a certain rhythm, like a little syncopated rhythm in GrooveScribe, And then you could have, you could tell the click to be. On the E's, the Ands, or the uhs, or do a, a a drop measure, and then we also have an auto speed up feature. So as you're getting used to the syncopated rhythm that you're practicing on the kit, uh, you can tell it every minute I want it to speed up five vpm So, um, and all you have to do for that is just go to mikeslessons.com, and then on the right of the upper menu, there's this little thing that says Groovescribe, and just click on it, and it's free. And it's and it'll if you're not great at reading sheet music, as you're typing in the notes or punching in the notes in the little dots. Um, of the grid, it'll create the sheet music for you, and it'll help you out with your reading too. So, all right, so that's way better than GarageBand. Don't do GarageBand. <laughs>
1: <Because> <laughs> I mean, I don't care.
0: Uh, you know, give 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 Apple some more money. I'm just telling you that Lou Montuli made an incredible app, and it's for free. Um, but yeah, and we are looking into um, appifying it as well because right now you do have to be connected to the internet, internet which pretty much everybody's cell phone and everybody's mobile device is already. Um, but we also want it to be. If you were on a plane and wanted to work on things without Wi-Fi, you could do that as well. So we are working on that, but um, yeah, we've and we've added a lot of features too. This is something that you don't even know, Mike, but we just added a feature where if you were working on a groove and you'd written the whole thing out, but you just didn't want to, like maybe the kick pattern, you want to see it but not hear it. Now there's a mute feature for every channel. So oh, cool. Instead of taking the kicks out, you leave them in, you still see them, it still plays, you just mute it. So we're, we're adding features all the time. we got all the odd time signatures in there. You helped us develop that part. So um, it's there for you guys, so please use it for sure. And then the great thing is you just click the share button and send your whatever you're working on. Just send it to me on Facebook, and I'll check out your grooves. So,
1: so there you go. That was actually from Pascal. I forgot to say who okay. it came from. So the next third question, last question, is one that we could probably go off for hours on, but we can keep it, you know, the soundbite version. Uh, this came from Helen. She is a, she's been playing drums for only six months. Do you know what her last name is? Russell, Helen Russell. Russell. I. I
0: she's got blue hair. I remember uh, oh, yeah? her, fr- yeah, she was at the London Drum Show and she sat kind of in the front area of my educational clinic. And so when you said that, I was like, I think I know that person. Okay. And uh, but I, I didn't know she'd been playing for only six months, so that's really cool that she took it upon herself to go to the London drum show. And that must have been what, four months ago? So she must have been like two months deep yeah, in drumming. Right. This like, just that's came so in awesome.
1: Two days ago, so yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, so she's new to drumming, but um, she played drum trombone in a brass band for many years, uh, which involved her reading sheet music and working with a conductor but no improvisation or her own composition. So she wants to know what tips do we have for being creative on the drum set if you're not a naturally creative person? I'll let you go on that one.
0: Okay, well, the first thing that I would think, Helen, is you have to think about what are you able to create with? And right now you're six months deep into an instrument, meaning that your vocabulary is very, very limited. So being creative with a limited vocabulary, it's not that it's impossible, you just have, you know, very few paints and brushes to work with. So I wouldn't worry about it too much. I think that it's just something where right now you've been trained kind of like me, where if you give me something, and and Mike's the same way, if you give me something on a piece of sheet music, I will get it down. But if you say something like, hey, can you play me something happy on the drum set? That's like, oh, that's that's not where my natural creativity lies. So it's like, okay, um, I'm going to have to work on that. So one thing I would say is, be creative with the few things you know. Um, Benny Greb showed, showed an awesome exercise in his very first DVD where he improvised in only eighth notes. And it sounded better than any drum solo Mike and I will ever play. It, right. it sounded fantastic because he really cared about every single note. So inside of a note, you have so many options. With the dynamics, You know, it's not like sheet music. It's not pianissimo, piano, mezzo forte, fortissimo. It's a billion different dynamic options from the quietest ghost note on the planet to the loudest accent. So really work on your dynamics and be creative with that stuff. But putting yourself inside of a set of restrictions really helps. The other thing I would say is start being more creative in your day-to-day life. So when you're driving in the car and the radio comes on and the groove is here, just sing. But don't sing like a vocalist. Sing like a drummer and think, But don't. And then you just start to think, like, man, I wish I had the skills to do that on the drum set. As those skills show up, then you're able to be more and more creative. So, just involving a little more creativity into your and rhythmic
1: creativity into your day to day life will really help with that. What about you, buddy? Well, my first thought would be since you have so much background in music already and you're playing a melodic instrument, you probably, your musicianship is probably well far advanced. From your your drumming and probably most drummers that you interact Absolutely. with, You're, you, you Absolutely. probably have a more attuned sense of of phrasing and shape and dynamics, and, and and even rhythm. So I would say just grab on that, utilize some of those skills. So you know what a what a crescendo sounds like. So explore crescendos on each piece of your kit. You know what it sounds totally. like to play staccato. Well, can you make your drum set sound staccato? Can you make your drum set sound locato? can you slur notes around the toms? Like just using these terms that you know how to do on a trombone and see if you can do it with sticks on drums. This is the stuff that Mark Juliana does like nobody's business. And he spent time in the practice room. Like I am going to spend the next hour exploring short sounds. Yeah. And no, with no sense of like, I'm going to use this etude and I'm going to play this transcription. No, it's just short sounds. Let me just sit here and figure out how I can make this really ringy floor Tom sound short. What can I right. do to it? Dig yeah. that sticks into the head, maybe I'll mute it with one hand, I'll throw the towel over it. You know, that's all just getting you to think it with your imagination. And I think the biggest thing is to give yourself permission to explore. Because when you go Absolutely. through classical music training, one of the huge glaring holes in that is they do not they do not promote improvisation. So you're never taught to just let go and explore. You're only taught to play what's on the page, play it correctly, it's either right or wrong. But when you're being creative, there's no right or wrong. It's just taste. It's just aesthetic. So if you like playing as loud and as fast as possible, I, who am I to say that that doesn't sound good or that's not being creative? So that would be the first thing is give your permission, yourself permission to just, be, just explore and have fun and not worry if it's good or bad or right or wrong. And then apply what you already know about music to the drum set. And how crazy is it that, like, I mean, you and I both
0: went through school music programs all the way through college. Now that I look, I'm, I'm thinking about being in band room right now. And I, I never saw, like, the oboes jam with the French horns. Never. Ever. And I'm not, I'm not really trying to be funny. I'm actually really serious. I, ne- I only saw them with sheet music in front of them. And then the guys that were playing rock band instruments, acoustic guitar player, bass player, drummers, we were always jamming. Yeah. and just screwing you know they called it screwing around but we were jamming you yeah. know but I never saw anyone else jamming and it's just yeah. like wow that's so true you know maybe the guys that were in jazz band would you know maybe a trumpet player would show up and jam a little bit with us but the guy the people that were playing the real symphonic instruments never
1: jammed yeah. ever yeah I mean it's just and, crazy and I went to like college where it was a school where you had a jazz division and you had a classical division and and if you were a music major a music ed major you had to. You had to take some jazz courses, and you would not mm-hmm. believe the anxiety that classical musicians would experience when the when the jazz instructor would say, just play something in C major. Right. Like yeah, yeah. pure was- panic mode, like tears, hostility, like the whole thing. And for me, that's whole like— Full whiplash. <laughs> yeah, because it's it's like they're just afraid of sounding bad. There's just yeah. this fear of being judged, but— you're actually being judged more by not being willing to just go for it in that situation. Yeah, for sure. Like, no, I, don't, it's, I don't need to write out your licks for you. It's in C major. <laughs> you know how to play a C major chord? Try all the notes. See which ones sound good. See which ones sound bad. Vamp. Yeah, just vamp. Yeah, I mean, and I went
0: um, – I had a very full music day in high school. I mean, my high school, all four years, it was it was almost like four classes of music and then two – core subjects that i had to do just so i could graduate to get people off my back but so i would go from marching band which was no jam this is what it is that was zero period go into jazz band full improvisation because we had a combo class yeah and it was like okay guys you're gonna play the head and then you're on your own and then i would go to like say wind ensemble and i mean you could never get anyone to jam with you and that was like my thing i'm like dude so you play flute like Jethro Toll? Let's do that. Like, let's jam. And they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. So that's, that's a a thing that, you know, Helen, I think it'll be awesome for you to explore. And like Mike said, don't, don't be scared of it. Be excited about it. And this is your chance, you know, you have blue hair. This is your chance to be an artist. Go for it. So, Awesome. Well, guys, please keep sending us your questions, and we will keep doing our best to get to them. We do have some more questions, but they, they're they pretty in-depth, and we might be saving them for bigger sections of the podcast. So for now, let's transition into Shop Talk. So I wanted to talk to you, Mike, about drum shoes, and you and I have um, – ha- we have our own opinion on – and I'm not talking about, like, actual shoes designed for drumming because there are those. I remember um, you and I had talked about how Vic Firth kind of was the first to take out ads – on shoes that were they were promoting drum shoes, you yeah. Know, and Weckel was involved in the ad campaign. I think maybe Steve Smith was involved in it. I don't remember for sure. I don't remember honestly. I didn't pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. But so I'm not talking about those. And I, I was telling you how that there's a company um, in China that's now making some drum shoes for. Uh, Russ Miller and Benny Greb and stuff. Yeah, they have Dennis Chambers shoes. has
1: shoes. Virgil Donati has shoes.
0: Um, right. Yeah. So those. That's not what I'm talking. about. I'm talking about our our choice of footwear when we play drums. Because I noticed that in the new in the April issue of Modern Drummer, there's a full page ad with Ringo Starr for Skechers. And I was like, oh yeah, like we've never talked about preferred footwear, but it is a big deal to some people because I have campers all the time that come here, and one of their first questions will be, hey, do you mind if I play your kit? in my socks i don't like to play with shoes on or somebody else would say do you mind if i play in my work boots i'm very comfortable in these and then some people have to play barefoot and it's always kind of struck me as weird because i think you and i grew up the same which is sit down and play there's really nothing to talk about but that being said do you have any preferred
1: footwear at all i don't i rarely think about it i just i know that i won't wear anything that comes over my ankle on the right. day if I have to gig or something like that. I mean, I've I've done it. It's not impossible. Or something that has like an elongated toe that could get in the way of the chain or something like that. Yeah. So I generally I stay away from anything that's not ankle cut, but I'll wear heavier boots, I'll wear chucks, I'll wear uh, uh, whatever sneakers, jogging shoes, whatever I've got. Basically whatever I'm wearing that day, because I only buy comfortable shoes, is right. is fine for drumming. I had one pair of sneakers that they were really stiff, and for some reason, that was the one time when, I, as I was playing, it was distracting. But it didn't – I mean, it still didn't bother me. I just don't – I actually got rid of those shoes because they just weren't comfortable. I was disappointed right. in them just in general. So for me, I just – I don't I don't want to think about it. I don't want to have a ritual because especially playing around New York City when you've got five-minute changeovers and you're playing a house kit and that's totally destroyed and maybe there's not a hi-hat clutch and – and there's a pedal there that I could take the time to change out the pedal if I wanted to but there's already one there and I've only got five minutes so I'm just going to sit down and play So, and maybe right. it's raining that day so I need to wear boots so I don't get completely waterlogged you know right so that's that mentality of like I don't want to have a ritual I mean that's cool if, if drumming is more of a meditative practice for you it is for me but it's once I'm playing that's the meditation I don't need yeah. a ritual to get into that mode it's just I want to be able to just show up and play
0: In my experience, most of the people that have serious, serious rituals like that haven't actually been a working drummer yet. So their ritual is based around the fact that they control their environment. It's always their kit in their basement, always their environment. And, yeah, I mean, I'm the same as you. I mean, once I started gigging – I started gigging when I was 12. That was my first adult cover band. My mom had some friends through real estate that were in a cover band. They lost their drummer, and it was like, okay, well, let's just – put the little twelve year old kid in the band as a shtick until we can audition drummers and then I just stayed in that band. So if you ever need me to play like anything from Fleetwood Mac, like (laughs) I've got your back. Like I at twelve, that's all I had to learn was Fleetwood Mac tunes and um Awesome. You know, and then wedding tunes pretty much. So anyways, but I mean so since I was a kid, it was always like Okay, I can't control my environment because my mom picked me up from school and took me to the gig. So whatever I was wearing that day, those are yeah. my drum shoes. Yep. And that became a great freedom. Like I would hate to be walking down the street of Old Town Folsom with some friends. There's a band playing. The drummer sees me and says, hey, dude, you got to sit in. And I'm like, sorry, bro. I'm wearing my Adidas and I don't play in Adidas. Yeah. Like that yeah. would be the worst. Like. <laughs> I just want to sit. And I don't want to look at his kit and be like, oh, you're playing the Tama Iron Cobra? I'm sorry. Yeah, let me go get my 5,000. Yeah, exactly. I don't want that ever. I I want to just sit down and play. I'm with you, though. The only thing that kind of seems to limit me a little bit and it's only for about five minutes until my foot figures out would be something that goes over the ankle like some yeah. high top shoes um, but yeah I don't I, I I think you had it kind of the best which is well I wear comfortable shoes in life so that makes for great drum, drum shoes Yeah. the only thing I've ever noticed is the difference between kind of adidas and puma like more sporty shoes have a tackier rubber on the bottom so they grip the pedal really well and then something like chucks it's the rubber that they use on the bottom just isn't very tacky so it's a very slippery thing going up and down the pedal but still i feel like that's on me to spend two or three minutes for the first song getting my foot used to it yeah you know i don't i never blame the shoes so i i think uh hopefully we can get some of our our listeners out there just to understand hey Sometimes you just have to sit down and play the drum set. And, you know, you don't have to change the angle of the rack tom, the floor tom, the snare drum. You know, for me, the thing that's always acceptable to adjust is the seat height because we're all different heights. After that, I mean, like the first time I hit the rim of your rack tom, that is the acknowledgement like, oh, he keeps his rack tom flatter than me. But the second time I hit it,
1: that's on me. I already knew that. I should have lifted my arm. Yeah, so That's kind of the fun for me of drumming is that, I mean… Drums and percussion are one of the few instruments that you don't actually—you're not making physical contact with the instrument. You know, you're only—you're oh, wow. only touching. Uh, sorry, my phone's ringing. <laughs> you're you really only, do uh, have a
0: job. <laughs> you have like a real job. That's like that—that phone ring is like a like a I have a job phone
1: ring. That's not your house. That's funny. I always put the do not disturb on, except for on Fridays. All right, it's on. <laughs> so awesome. anyway, what was <laughs> I saying? I don't even. Remember. Who knows, man? Dang it. Who were you? Stop
0: calling. So you were talking about how that's the fun of drumming is sitting down on a foreign kit.
1: Yeah, because like drums you like a trumpet your lips touch the mouthpiece. Saxophone, your lips touch the reed. Drums, we have this implement between us and the instrument. So you have to kind of every time you're kind of shooting in the dark. You're never actually you can't put your hands on the drums and like, all right, now I just lift my fingers and play. Sure. So I kind yeah, of like that mystery right. of maybe the crash cymbal was further off to the right tonight, so I'm going to have to be extra deliberate when I go to play that crash yeah. cymbal. Maybe. And don't you
0: like how that those different kits change the way you play? It's like, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely, my, my setup has really evolved from me playing someone else's kit and being more comfortable than I was at home, and then I came home and changed my setup. So I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, my crashes used to be crazy high, you know, and then... All of a sudden, I'm playing on a jazz guy's kit, and I'm like, "Well, I don't. I'm not playing in a touring rock band anymore. It, there's no reason for my symbols to be so high." So, I think that's a, a very cool thing. So, guys, you don't need drum shoes, and you don't need to be a freak about it. And be like, I can't play unless I have my Adidas Sambas. Uh, so, but if you are, that's okay. Mike and I will still love you <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and don't get either of us started on drum gloves. All right, uh... let's get into our uh, featured artist. So, the featured artist this. This month for the April issue of Modern Drummer Definitely threw me for a loop Because one, I'd never heard of him uh, That is on me for sure But uh, he's wearing a cowboy hat I assumed he was a country drummer And then I researched him for this episode of the podcast And I was way off He is a fantastic all-around musician So Joe Saylor uh, So give everybody the rundown of like his current gig And then the
1: history that you know of him, sure. So Joe is currently the drummer on the Colbert Show, which the late show was Stephen Colbert. So when when, you know, when David Letterman retired, Stephen Colbert took over the show. He brought in his personal choice band. So the history and the band is called uh, Stay Human, led by John baptiste and Joe Saylor is the drummer. So they're all young guys, and they were just starting to really kind of make waves on the mainstream like music festival circuit. Their thing was they would go around New York City and just play in, like, certain neighborhoods. Like, they would go to the the boroughs and just play on the street. That's so cool. And film it. And and they would play. And then they kind of brought that whole environment into the clubs. So they would play clubs and just kind of walk around, very New Orleans style. Like, just walk around the club and just play and get people interacting. So they just built a really strong, like, good vibes, good culture. They started playing big festivals. They played ACL Festival a couple years ago. And then they played Colbert's show when he was on Comedy Central, and okay. apparently Stephen and the leader John just hit it off really well. So they, when when Stephen got the show, got the Late Show, his first thought was, right, "I got to bring those guys in as my house band." So it's not like uh-huh. a bunch of, you know, like seasoned studio vets from from New York City or LA that they brought in and never played together. This is actually a band that still tours and still makes records. Uh, that's so a house cool. band for Stephen Colbert. Now Joe's background is actually uh, in jazz, like deep, deep into traditional, modern, like modern, like Roy Haynes style and back. He's fr- he's from the Pittsburgh area, and if anyone is is familiar with Pittsburgh, there's there's one of the last remaining archetypes of the hard bop era. Roger Humphreys lives in Pittsburgh, and Roger, may, you know, spent years playing with Horace Silver. Uh, he recorded the the track Song for My Father, which if you learn a jazz bossa nova and you're looking for songs to kind of hear it in action, that's the one that we always – that's always the one that we play. It's one of the first songs that like college yeah. jazz bands learn, Song for My Father. So that's Roger Humphreys. I believe he was like maybe 17 or 18 when he recorded that track. Wow. So he's still in Pittsburgh, still kicking ass. <laughs> he's got a, a – a culture that surrounds him of just really dedicated students. He runs I think he just retired, but he did run like a jazz school, like a music school. Okay. So he has tons of dedicated students. One of my best friends is a trumpet player, played in Roger's band when we were in college in West Virginia, and then after that. So he was in Rogers band and Joe was one of Rogers' like like prime students. So okay. my buddy James got to know joe actually because joe would come out to the gigs and he'd sit in and just kill it like as a teenager he would just be killing it sounding like roy haynes but it's a white kid from you know indiana <laughs> pennsylvania yeah yeah so so i got to know him just indirectly as a teenager because he was just this we, we heard about these three kids there was joe and his bass player and pianist they were just this trio that were just like deep into jazz playing it like adults they were going out to all the gigs sitting in with all the bands and just blowing people away. Wow. And it turns out, I told you this the other day, but when my buddy James was in grad school, he had a recital, and originally he was going to bring me in to play on it. And then we got like six months out, and I hadn't heard from him. Like, what's up with that recital? He's like, yeah, Joe's going to play it. Oh. <laughs> so, so you knew who Joe was just by name? Yeah, well, yeah, I knew him as a drummer, in, a young drummer in Pittsburgh who was got clearly it. going to be a superstar jazz drummer. right. Like it was clear. Oh. I mean, he was playing, you know, I was kind of had a chip on my shoulder. I went to the, the recital and I was a little, you know, a little jealous, but, you know, very proud right. of my buddy. So I was there to support. And I was a little jealous, like, dude, you couldn't call me to play this. But then as soon as they started into the first tune, I was like, yep, I cannot hang with this kid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he is and So how old were you at the time? Like 20? 19? I was actually the first year here, so I would have been 25. Oh, okay. He would
0: have been. Oh, so you're like, I mean, yeah, you must have been not cocky, but I mean, you were a player. Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I, I like, was still thought I was Brian Blade in my mind.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> here that's he was. Not funny at all. I, th- I are, think he was amazing. still in yeah.
1: high school. I, I'm sure he was still in high school. And it was. Oh, my I mean, He God. just swung his ass off. So. I'm not surprised that. I mean, he then went to New York and went to Manhattan School of Music, studied with John Riley, went to Juilliard, studied with Carl Allen, got his master's wow. degree, joined up with John Baptiste, and just kind of quickly shot to the top and landed this gig. So I'm wow, really proud so of him. Cool. It's, it's I don't know him incredibly personally, but I've met him and and i I can say that he's he's well deserving of success. It's not Put I'm not surprised. Work. Yeah,
0: right. That's awesome, man.
1: Very cool. Well, hopefully. You know, now when
0: people watch the Colbert show, they'll have a little more history on just the guy who's playing drums where it's like, it's so easy to see an amazing gig like that and just think like, what a lucky punk. Yeah. He probably knows somebody. And it's like, you know, and and it's great when you know, like, okay, that guy was, you know, in senior year of high school taking gigs from Mike Dawson. Yeah. Yeah. That's really and cool. like not just taking them like <laughs> just owning my gigs <laughs> owning owning it owning it, and uh no, but I mean that's just when you have that history and I think that's so important I mean that's always been my personal theory on why I don't talk smack online and stuff it's not that I'm not that I'm this overly positive person it's just it's so rare that I know the full story, so how yeah. could I have any kind of opinion and then when I usually when I get the whole story, then it actually totally throws me into the positive world because I see something, I think it's like, oh, it's okay. That's my initial thought. Then I find out from Helen's letter, wait, she's only been playing for six months? Yeah. Oh, well, then that was brilliant now that I know the whole story. Yeah. And so when I see somebody, I, I'm not above watching the Colbert show and being like, uh, he's just playing basic grooves and he lucked into the gig. And then I find out, wait, he went to Juilliard, he did this, he did this. And it's like, oh, yeah. wow, that guy put in his time since he was a little kid. Yeah. And then, like I said, when I watch the videos studying up for this podcast or for this episode – it was really cool because the drumming, I mean Roy Haynes was the perfect per- person to g- compare him to because when I started watching videos and playing, he clearly has drum set skills. That's not a problem, but it wasn't about that. I mean, he really really cared about I'm going to take my time, I'm going to build this solo. I'm going to and very very good at repetition. Yeah. He would find these really catchy, catchy hooks. And I, I do think that he found them in the moment. I think the hook was improvised, but the second it happened, he realized, this is the hook. I'm going to do it again and again, and the audience is going to dig it. And I, I can tell you this. He had a four-minute drum solo that felt like a minute because it was so catchy. Mm-hmm. I, you know, And I wasn't trying to find out like how badass is he. It was just like, wow, this is... Very cool drumming. So, yep. um, so don't let the cowboy hat fool you. Watch him. Check him out. And then definitely get the April issue of Modern Drummer so you
1: can read the whole story. Who did the story with Joe? Do you know? Uh, who did do the story? I think it was Ilya Stemkovsky. I did not do it. No, it was Jeff Potter who's, who's one okay. of our uh, – Jeff Potter was the drummer in Rent on Broadway for years. Really? Yeah. So that's probably something most people don't know. So he he knows a lot of the people on the New York scene, so whenever we have someone who's kind of deep in the New York jazz or theater or that kind of world, he usually gets the assignment. He's no wow. joke. He's a he's a badass drummer too. That's awesome. Maybe one day he'll be our featured artist. Yeah. Right? He's one of your writers. <laughs> All right,
0: well let's get into some candy. It's gear review time. So this is a company that Mike hipped me to a few months back. And I'd never heard of them, and he was just bragging about his kit saying, I'm going to order one of these things for myself. And now uh, in the April issue, Modern Drummer is reviewing it, and Mike did the review. So the, uh, the company is called Bucks County Drum Company. Right. And is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's it, Bucks County, and they are located in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, which is, I think it's 30 miles northwest of Philadelphia. Okay, and they sent you two kits, you said, but you reviewed the bop kit? They did. They they sent me – both of them have the same shell, which I'll kind of explain. But they sent me a bop kit with an 18-inch bass drum, 12-inch rack tom, 14-inch floor tom, and a, a matching but not quite matching 6 net by 14 snare. That was one kit. And then they also sent a second kit that was like big, a 13-inch rack tom, 16-inch floor tom, 24-inch bass drum. Wow. So,
0: so quick question, and this is just on the appearance level. So looking at it in the magazine – I know that it's kind of a matte Wenge finish, but it looks like it would actually be rough to the touch. Is it textured on it the is. outside of the shell? Yeah, that, that yeah, one it looks is like textured,
1: that. yeah. That's really cool. Yeah, pretty neat. So what they're doing is he he designed a new shell, like a completely new shell technology that is patent pending, where he's doing a real thin uh, steam-bent core, like a solid wood core, and then he's gluing five plies of maple on the outside of that and then five-ply maple reinforcement rings on the inside. And so then he cuts the bearing edges so that the drum head itself only sits on the solid steam bent chunk. It's pretty neat. And his his original concept was to give... Because you know, solid drums can be a little unstable with weather and things like that. So the maple on the outside kind of get makes it stronger, easier to work with, easier to cut, easier to finish. It's easier to finish a ply drum than it is a solid drum. Um, he didn't really comment a ton on... being a sonic purpose but i discovered that it actually it takes a solid shell which i know to be kind of punchy and snappy and you know a a really articulate shell and it kind of warms it out a bit kind of rounds it off so you get a little bit more of that familiar ply shell sound but you still get the like extreme responsiveness especially at low volumes that you get from shell uh solid shell drums sure so it's like the best of both worlds in my opinion of it sounds like a what you think a ply maple drum, but then this core is bringing the solid shell, just power and extra like depth and. And then, so I have a question: that core, that's
0: obviously where he's cutting the bearing edge, right? Yep. So how far down is it until you see plies of maple start? Is it like right away, or is it? It's three or four s- millimeters? Oh, it is. It's okay. pretty.
1: So if you look at the shell, it just looks like a ply shell. Okay, because the the it just looks like a ply shell with a real thick inner ply. Awesome.
0: Okay, but that okay. inner Very ply cool. is not
1: actually a ply; it's actually a steam bent solid chunk of wood. Wow. Yeah, and he's so I'm he cool he, he and the the core can be any wood you want. Uh, I had told him just give me whatever sounds good. I don't care what it it's called. So the the BOP kit, I think it has four different woods. The Ractom has uh, a core of Grenadilla Grenadillo, I guess is how you pronounce it, which he describes as. Uh, harder and denser wood. It's sort of like a rosewood. Okay. It's often used in marimbas and guitars, so it's very tonal. He put a yellow heart core in the floor tom because yellow heart has a... a it's blends to deeper tones, but also sensitivity. The bass drum has a soft maple core, which makes it deeper sounding. Uh, the snare drum has an ash core, so that makes it a little bit more punchy.
0: And it's just so cool that he like hand-selected Different cores, not just for a kit, but this is the best wood that I can find for
1: the rack tom, the yeah. 12
0: inch rack tom. I mean, that's just, that's custom on a whole other level. So it's very,
1: very cool. Yeah, it kind of goes counterintuitive to what, what most drum manufacturers do. Although, if you look at a lot of session drummers in Nashville, especially if they use Yamaha, a lot of them use a maple kit, uh, kick drum, and birch toms. Yeah. Because the maple gives you extra low ends, the birch gives you more control, more focus. So I, I kind of think some companies. Show, I mean, there's been other, you know, the Yamaha. I think what's their Phoenix kind of. Oh, the mix, Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Mixes a bunch of different woods, but I don't think they change the woods drum to drum. They just have a. No. Sh- the shell has a bunch of different woods in it.
0: Yeah, and they changed the the si- the thickness the plies do change from right, drum okay. to drum on that one. Um, and then you know for a while Pearl was giving their users or their their clients what the hell are students called customers <laughs> customers, customers. <laughs> I will never call my my client or my students customers ever. But Pearl was giving their customers back in the day or not back in the day but just a while ago the option to kind of build their own like what do you want. Yeah. And I think that is too much freedom. I think it it's a good thing when this, when the, com- the company says, okay, look, we, d- we tested everything. This is the best that we can find. Um, but I think the other thing that, you know, one, I think it speaks a lot to Bucks
1: County that you actually bought a kit for yourself. I did. Uh, I did. I bought and- a BOP kit. And, and my instructions for him, the, the best thing with, with God, when you're working with one custom guy is you can just get him on the phone. Right. So we just talked and he, he just said, what do you want it to sound like?
0: So that's such it wasn't a cool like
1: question. it wasn't like here's all these woods. Pick whichever word you think is the
0: best yeah, word that you could tell your friends you have Moranti, <laughs> yeah.
1: and then you find out later that it's just fancy plywood. So and I you know, told him exactly cool what word. I wanted. I wanted a bop kit, but I didn't want it to sound like a bop kit. I didn't want it to be a jazz kit. I have a I have an old Slinglin three ply. That's my jazz kit. So I wanted a small kit that could sound big and fat and warm. And those were the words I used, and he his the kit that I got is Yellow Heart Toms popular bass drum so it's just awesome. i mean it sounds huge uh, that's so cool
0: and then this kit that he sent you with all the different woods you were telling me that it same thing it, it could be a jazz kit if you wanted to but it's really just a small all-around drum set
1: yeah super versatile i mean i, I couldn't believe how low the, these drums could go especially the toms you can get them like almost finger tight and still get a really really big tone out of it so so yeah it's called awesome. a bebop kit but it's really just a small badass kit well it's it's absolutely
0: gorgeous so let's uh let's find out what it sounds like We are back with Pick of the Week. This is a chance for Mike and I to hip you to some things that uh, strike us as cool and things that we're trying out for ourselves. This time, my Pick of the Week is actually a video, but it combines two of my passions. Music is obviously a passion for me, but what most people don't know is that astrophysics is probably a bigger passion of mine th- at the moment. I mean, I, it's right up there with drums. Teaching is my number one passion and then astrophysics and drums are right there. So this video is by a band called OK Go and they filmed the entire video in a an airplane that the astronauts use to train in and it's, it's referred to as the vomit comet. And what this plane does is it goes up very, very high and then it comes back down almost straight down, and you have about 20 seconds of zero gravity. And so each up and down, it's just kind of this U shaped curve, is called a parabola. A parabola is where the up and down, the angles match each other. So each parabola, you have 27 seconds of zero gravity on the way down. Then you have about 30 seconds of double gravity, where gravity, where they're kind of stopping you from falling. And then you have about a five-minute kind of increase in speed to go back up. Uh, And then you get another 20 seconds of double gravity on the way up. And then on the way back down, you get another 27 seconds of zero gravity. So to make a three-minute video, they can't make it all in zero gravity. So they had to cut it up into these 22 to 23 seconds of the downside of the parabola. And so it's a fantastic video. That It's called Upside Down and Inside Out. And the crew was completely throwing up. They said there were f- like 57 unscheduled regurgitations. Oh, by the come crew. on. That's, that's yeah. terrible. Yeah. And yeah. you want to do this? No, I, well, I kind of do. I would love to do it just because what's crazy is you think, like, well, I'm sure somewhere we just have zero gravity. You know, that's where our astronauts train. It's like, no, we don't. You can't. First of all, there is no such thing as really as zero gravity. You're just falling. That's what people don't understand is when they see astronauts and they're like, oh, wow, they're floating. It's like, no, they're not floating. They're falling towards the Earth at the exact same speed that the Earth is falling away from them, which makes it seem like they're floating. But that feeling you get when you jump off a cliff or you do bungee jumping – they feel that nonstop. That never goes away. They just eventually get used to the fact they're falling straight towards the earth, which is crazy because we think of it as like, oh, you're
1: floating. It's like you're not floating. You're falling straight wait a down. Minute, wait a minute. Wait a minute. So what is it that makes you feel that? Because we're technically falling right now, but I don't feel nauseous. Is it the it's blood? It's the gravity. And- yeah. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's the gravity and it's
0: the rate that we're all falling. So the everything's just falling. We're falling – that's, that's Einstein's uh, special theory of relativity. You know, it's space is curved. We're falling towards the sun. The sun is falling towards the center, You know, the supermassive black hole at the center of our galaxy. Our galaxy is falling towards other galaxies. And then all of that is being expanded by dark energy. So it's pretty crazy. Um, I can't even wrap my head around why I don't feel nauseous right now. <laughs> we will, uh, yeah, and we're also we're not just falling. We're also we're also rotating extremely yeah. fast. Like if if our Earth stopped rotating, I would see you in New York in about eight seconds. <laughs> like I would just go shoot straight through the walls, and I would end up at M- MD. So so, anyways, the fact that a, a pop band was able to figure out what it was going to take to record three minutes of video. In Zero Gravity is just incredible and the amount of production that went into it. So I would recommend you guys watch the video, but not only watch the video, please watch the behind the scenes. Because when you see what goes into it, it'll really kind of remind you that probably goes into everything you've ever seen. We just take it for granted. It just shows up on YouTube. It just is. And it's like you don't understand that there was like... To make this happen, they had to go to Moscow and train at the center where all of the Russian cosmonauts train. And there had to be Russian cosmonauts on the plane with them telling them, hey, this is what's going to happen. And there were Russian pilots that were flying these parabolas up and down. And I, I I, I mean, Mike and I were talking previously about, like, I don't know where the budget came from to do this. Yeah, this who is, funded this sucker? This is insane. So it's absolutely amazing. And then the other thing that I really got out of this… Was it was a great experiment in social media because I saw the video on YouTube and I was like, wow, that's weird. It's been out for a week and it only has 600,000 views. That seems a little low for how incredible this is. And then I went to their Facebook page and it had 50 million views. And I was like, mm. wow, like Facebook has become the new video center and it's just so much more viral. And I was thinking, cause I was really trying to, I mean, my whole life is built out of video and social media. So I was thinking, okay, why would that happen, but if you were on YouTube and you wanted to share the video on YouTube, who would you share it to without leaving youtube? no one yeah. there's no social aspect to youtube it's just it's just like a you know it 's a place to store your videos where with Facebook, if I see the video i'm just instantly connected to every friend I know, and it's so easier so much easier to make it go viral so not to mention. You know, on Facebook, then you have the ability to sponsor the campaign and, and fund it so it gets more views and more views. They're not fake views, they are real. Um, so, you know, it's, it, but it's definitely a huge shift. If you go from 600,000 views on one social media site to 50 million on another, that tells you that, okay, YouTube is not the, you know, the leader, at least in the short term. I think YouTube is the place to, you still need to put your content on YouTube, absolutely, because it will get a much longer burn. And I would assume that video will probably have 50 million views eventually, and I would assume that if you check the stats, those 50 million views on Facebook probably stay in the 30 to 45 second range, and the ones on YouTube are probably full three-minute views. So uh, I definitely don't see it as worthless, but I definitely see it as, what are you trying to do right now? Then learn what... You can use each of these four. If I want people to know that I teach online drum lessons, that's going to live on YouTube forever. If I have a clinic tomorrow in Poughkeepsie, that's going on Facebook. Mm. So
1: um, so there you go. Yeah, I guess what we never would know is how much they invested in boosting that post. We won't know that, now, yeah. um, But uh,
0: it, it depends. I mean th- that's the whole point of being viral is you don't need to invest if it just takes off. You know, I mean, some of the videos I have that have the most views and have the most reaction, I you know, I didn't do anything for it because it just took off. And then some of the other things that, that you know maybe stalled at ten thousand views, it's like, well, I, I put whatever twenty five dollars into it, but it just it just never took off. No one yeah. cared it. it, no one shared it. So uh, it's, it's it's definitely quite the science right now, and there are huge teams of people in Silicon Valley trying to crack the codes and everything. So, what is your pick of the week, sir?
1: The so mine is nothing viral. Uh, it, is the <laughs> it will be after this. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope I get a call and say, man, we just sold a couple hundred of these things. <laughs> so Innovative Percussion, who is, if you're not familiar with them, they are well known as one of the best uh, classical mallet makers, classical and marching mallet makers. They make really excellent marimba mallets, bell mallets, uh, all kinds of beaters for bass drums and things and and marching percussion implements and they just recently you know in the past year or so started really promoting their drum set stick division and getting some really key artists so they got Chris McHugh, they got Near Z they got Chad Wackerman, they've got Joey Wonker, they've got Sheila E they've got Marcus Gilmore you know they're getting some really excellent drummers with good taste um, to kind of feed into their aesthetic, the general aesthetic of it it's, it's a it's a fine brand of, of mallets and sticks. So Chris McHugh developed with them wow. a bass drum beater, which borrows on their marimba mallet technology. So it looks like a big marimba mallet. It has a hard core, like a solid core, like a bass drum beater, a wooden. I think it's wood. I haven't cut it open to, to find out. But it has a solid hard core, and they just they wrap yarn around it, so it looks like a marimba mallet. Wow. Um, and they describe it as... The core, this enhances the low end. The yarn is to cut down on the high frequencies so you can produce the lowest tone possible. Now, I do know from playing a lot of marimba that their mounts are designed that the harder you hit them, the more the attack increases. Okay. So this beater has that same concept. So you hit it soft, it it reacts like a fleece-covered felt beater. When you lay into it, it starts to react more like a wooden beater. For me, that's genius. I can't believe no one's ever done it before. Um, it's called the KDB 1 by Innovative Percussion. You could just Google Chris McHugh uh, bass drum beater, Innovative Percussion. You'll find it. It's not too expensive. It's like 30 bucks, maybe. And do you,
0: And you actually have one.
1: Yeah, they sent one to review, and I took it down to that workshop. It was the first time I used it. and Okay. I mean, it sounded great, and it feels— So you haven't had a chance yet to, like, do gig with it yet? No, and that's that's okay. going to be the test is durability because I know the yarn. Sure. I mean, I have my rim amounts. Of, over time, they start to wear out, but so does a felt-based drum beater. So I'm, I want to sure. just make sure that it doesn't wear out much quicker than a regular felt beater would. Sure.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, I'm looking forward to it, and I think the other thing I want to try is I want to try it out on— the you know we have 8 dw go anywhere practice kits for our students here at camp and there's just no way to get around no matter what beater you use the bass drum you know you're you're slapping against this like little rubber pad and it's so loud when i have 8 people in here doing it and i also it's not just loud i think it's really bad on your foot to have like the plastic beater nailing this thing that has no give whatsoever. I don't think that's healthy for your leg and for your foot. So I switched out to um, Cajon beaters that were like these little hollow rubber balls, but they just couldn't handle the punishment. They all kind of fell apart over the course of the summer. So I'm going to order one of these Innovative Percussion Beaters and try it out, not only on the kit, but also try it out on the practice kits and see if it's a softer um, thing and and see if I can get a a little more flex when it hits that that rubber pad. So yeah. I'm curious to hear how, how that happens. happens for you. Very cool. All right, buddy. Well, that is episode 39 <laughs> Just kidding. episode 30 in the can. Everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. Thank you for all of your feedback. Every time we meet somebody that's listening to the podcast, it, it means a lot to us that you guys are enjoying it and we will keep doing it. Please. If you get a chance, go to iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and give us a four star rating or higher. And if you can write a review, that really helps. That way other people can find this podcast as well. So, my friend, I will see you next week. All right.
1: Have a good weekend. Peace.